unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. We were talking before the show. As we record it, it's the beginning of November, and uh, we're both having a little bit of a cold spell, so I'm hoping we can heat things up on today's episode of Copywriters Podcast. Well, there's nothing nothing hotter than conflict between a copywriter and their client. So, yes, we can. Maybe we yeah. don't want to make it that hot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Warm and fuzzy. Um, have you ever been working for a client on a project where you know exactly what hook and offer will convert in the market, but your client has a different strong opinion and is opposed to what you want to do? By the same token, have you ever had a client urging you to promote their product a certain way when you have strong evidence or knowledge that that's not what the market wants? Every experienced copywriter has faced one of these problems or both of them at the same time. It's very frustrating when you can't do the job you were hired to do, especially if that job is to get sales for your client. Today, we'll break this down and look at how to get past these problems and to a solution that works for everyone. Just like this does. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So there are a couple of deep dives you can do up front to prevent or solve these problems some of the time. And we'll handle those deep dives one by one. But first, I have an additional disclaimer for you. I can't solve all these problems. And there's a reason for that. The reason is my name is not Dr. Phil. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's talk about this, you know, th this problem is the conflict between copywriters and client, clients on important stuff, stuff that's going to make or break the promotion. And the first step to overcoming this problem or preventing it from ever happening for you as a copywriter is to get a good grasp of your client's mindset and inner world, which you can do. Look at it this way. Sooner or later, you'll get into a negotiation with your client. A negotiation simply means they want one thing, you want another thing, and you have to find an agreement somewhere. You could call it a compromise or common ground or a new third solution. But in any case, whatever that negotiation ends up being, it's good to discover common ground not on that issue, but common ground with your client as a person, as a business person, as a marketer, in any way you can, and establish whatever trust you can as soon as possible. I know some copywriters think, well, my job is to write copy, not to do all this engagement still skill stuff. But no, actually, it is. In order for you to get the result you want, you have to get along with the person who's paying you. And you have to be able to come to agreements. So here are some things you can do to 
uh, establish a little common ground with your client. First of all, understand their objectives with the promotion and understand the objectives with their overall business and confirm that you understand them. Double check what you think they are and let yourself be corrected if you got it wrong. Second, identify their priorities and communication style. How important is quick response to them, for example? This can be a big one. Some copywriters don't like to be communicated with once they start writing until it's done. This can drive some clients who need quick response crazy. By the same token, some clients are nervous Nellies and, and they're, you know, asking for more information or checking in, you know, every few minutes or every few hours or maybe too often. But you want to negotiate a working relationship you both or all of you can live with if there are multiple people who have stakes in this. And I think the third thing is let them tell you how they want to promote the product and what they think the key selling points are. You may not agree with what you hear initially, but don't get into a fight right away. You can let them know that they're heard without telling them that you agree. Yeah, I'm going to get biblical real quick. Matthew 525 says, agree with thine adversary quickly. And I have found that in all aspects of life, but especially when it comes to client work, letting them know that you have the same goals as them, letting them know that you have the same understanding that they do. Stephen Covey said, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Taking that approach with client work, letting them, them know, and, and you mentioned, figure out what they think the key selling points are, how they want to promote the product. That's usually the first part of it for me is just sitting down and listening and absorbing as much as I can and letting them know that I understand where they're coming from and then putting it together and saying, okay, so we've taken all of what you've got and here's how I think the best way is to strategize, to put this together, to to lay these key points out. And usually if you approach it that way, from the very beginning, it makes it to where the project runs a lot smoother. Yeah, that's really good. It occurs to me, a lot of copywriters are really smart and they got to where they are by being the smartest person in the room. <laughs> and that's something you got to let go of, at least at this stage of the process. Being, you know, listening just to understand, not to evaluate and offer your opinion is a different skill than being the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, and I think that both the client and the copywriter, we both kind of suffer from the point that you're about to hit next. I'm, I'm looking into the future, but <laughs> the, the business owner gets stuck inside of the frame because they're very experienced with the product and, and it's hard for them to see the flaws of the way that they're trying to communicate because they're not a copywriter, so they need that help from us. But sometimes us as the copywriters, we run into the same issue because maybe we're working with a new client and they're like, dude, I've been in this industry for eight years and I'm telling you this particular type of messaging doesn't work. And I've run into that where I'm like, no, this is just the key principle of direct response copy. And we run a promo and I'm like, oh, I should have listened to you. <laughs> yeah. So that, that really rolls into the, the second main point, which is the curse of knowledge. You need to keep the curse of knowledge in mind. And this is an issue probably more for clients and copywriters, but 
it, it can come to bite you in the butt if you're a copywriter too. The curse of knowledge is simply knowing so much that you can't easily or automatically uh, default to explaining something to someone who doesn't know as much in a way that would sell them. And if you don't know what the curse of knowledge is or about it, you should read a book called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. That'll get you up to speed. If you do know what it is, work out in advance for yourself a clear, non-judgmental way to explain the curse of knowledge to your client. So they don't they don't think that you're just trying to tear them apart or or win a point when you bring it up, but explain how it happens often. It's actually a sign of expertise and experience, but it can get in the way with marketing. Just like the client needs to to have the curse of knowledge explained to them, you've been selling this for five years or 10 years and you're way more advanced than your new prospect or new buyer is and they need it dumbed down. Sometimes us as copywriters, we understand these principles, we understand copywriting so well that we get the curse of knowledge and we try to explain it to the client and we're like, no, don't you understand? It's just this. So we fall victim to it too, where we have to stop and be like, oh, my client hasn't been studying marketing or direct response for 15 years. So I need to learn how to observe my own curse of knowledge when dealing with my clients. Yeah, I mean, that that brings up an, an interesting point, too, which is there are really two kinds of clients in this regard. Um, there are clients who are steeped in direct marketing, know the lingo, know the basic principles, sort of have a feel for the environment. And there are clients who are not because, you know, the rest of the world, we, we did a whole podcast on, you know, how copywriters look at the world. The rest of the world outside of direct marketing looks at business and marketing and sales and advertising differently. Mm -hmm. And so you may have to bring someone up to speed and they may not, they may understand it intellectually right away and may take them a little while to get it emotionally and be willing to behave in that way. So you need to keep that all in mind uh, with the client. One way though, in terms of a hook, in terms of a headline, in terms of an offer. One thing that, that can help you steer the conversation towards an agreement is the, the question, what does your prospect wake up in the morning thinking or what are they laying awake at, in bed at night when thinking about this problem? You know, very very often I've seen this both with technical people and with you know, more personal growth people, they have this extraordinary process. It really works. And nobody gives a shit about their process, at least not initially. That's mm -hmm. not what they're buying. They're buying a result or an experience or a sense of a better identity, a different, you know, some kind of growth. Eventually, even in the sales pitch, they may want to know, well, I've been trying to get this result identity experience before and I haven't gotten it. How, how do you do it? What, what makes, how can I be sure you can do it? And then you can maybe have a very high level, abbreviated, dimensionalized, dramatized demonstration of the process in, in, in the way you describe it. But to, to get way down in the weeds is usually a mistake, you know, before you've made the sale. I, I think, 
I don't remember where I saw the analogy, but I saw somebody lay it out like there's two islands. There's Heaven Island and there's Hell Island. And Heaven Island is our offer. It's all the cool stuff, all the gizmos and gadgets and all the great stuff. And that's what we want to jump into right away. We want to start talking about how great Heaven Island is. But our prospect, like you said, they're laying awake at at night in bed thinking about their problem. They're in Hell Island right now. And in order to get them from Hell Island to Heaven Island, first you have to acknowledge that you're that they're in Hell Island and that you empathize with that and you understand it. And then when you start painting the picture of Heaven Island, it's that much more appealing. But if you just jump straight into Heaven Island, you got the curse of knowledge and all you know about is how great your product is and you jump straight into Heaven Island, ignoring Hell Island, you're going to miss out on a lot of sales. You are because, I mean, there's two two issues. One is you're not showing any empathy and you know, if 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 you're a client or a product owner and empathy is in your strong suit, that's what you hire a copywriter for. <laughs> and 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 secondly, you're going to damage your credibility by not showing that you know, quote, the way the world as it is, the way the world is, the world as it is, which is the prospect's reality. The, mm-hmm. which at, at that point is Hell Island. All right. So Maybe the the most important thing is to let your client know before you get into any disagreements that you're on their side. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you you hear people talk about loyalty. This, this is this is kind of in that realm. Doesn't mean that you know you don't ever think the prospect can be wrong and that you are blindly following them. What it means is that you're 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 in their corner. You're rooting for them. You know. And and if you're copywriter, look at it this way. You think you got problems. And indeed you do. But take a minute to realize there are infinitely more problems in your life when you're a business owner. And it really makes a difference to know that you have a loyal team member in your corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that my longest long-term clients, people that I've worked with for three, four years at a time, that's yeah. one thing that has always been real clear is, Hey, I get your business. I get that. You're worried about payroll. You're worried about inventory. You're worried about taxes. You got all, let me worry about the sales copy. Let me worry about the marketing. I got your back. And that is what I think that's the core of a long-term successful relationship with a client. Sounds pretty good. Are you getting tired of using the hero's journey in your sales copy over and over again? My book, The Persuasion Story Code, will help you put together stories that convince your prospects and resolve their objections. If you're a copywriter, you'll appreciate that every single one of the 25 kinds of stories in this book have been proven time and time again in profitable sales copy. But I've also used these kinds of stories to close five and six figure deals for my own business, and so have many of my clients. These stories are easy to create and easy to tell. They sound like ordinary conversation, but they are all designed and proven to lead to a yes. You can get the Persuasion Story Code on Amazon.com. So get your copy today. All right, let's talk about another step to overcome this whole conflict. And that is, and you can possibly prevent it from happening by getting a good grasp so the first step was to get a good grasp of the mindset and the inner world of your client. 
The second one is to do the same thing with, with your prospect. And one of my favorite tips is to learn the language and unique meanings of words in a particular market. I'll give you a really simple example. Uh, think of a chef, you know, great chef. Slice. Slice in food preparation is very different, meaning from slice in golf, for example. And mm -hmm. so the more you can sound like your market, the easier it will be for them to understand how you think. Now, as the writer, you might not even need to sound like the market. You can have a character in a story that sounds exactly like the market, or you can quote an expert talking to you, telling you, but get a sense of the market's language. Mm -hmm. And when, as far as getting that information, I want to draw a real, this may be unpopular, this distinction, but it's important to know anyway. You can get a lot more about the internal psychological drives of a prospect from what they complain about and criticize in others and ask for more information about than what they say in surveys or interviews. You know, there's a reason they call it Survey Monkey. And here's why. Or what people proclaim about themselves, their branding, their mission statement. Yawn. The, the former complaints, criticize, ask for info. That comes from emotion that motivates. But the latter, what they say, what they say in surveys and interviews, they proclaim about themselves. A lot of that comes from make-believe and wanting to look good and impress others to protect the ego or the ego protecting something else in the person. Yeah, I think of when people go in for job interviews, a lot of times the thing that's in the back of their mind is, how am I supposed to answer this question? And surveys, you get that same kind of psychological thing going on where that's not quite so much going on when somebody's just raw dumping out their unsatisfactory results from one of your competitors' products. Yeah. Another thing is to remember when you're thinking about your prospect, remember people almost always want to buy something because of what will help them save, gain, do, learn to do, be able to do, or become. Save, gain, do, be or become. And we did four episodes on this a couple years ago. And if you want to search them out to refresh, each one is called What Customers Most Want to Know. Mm. I'm surprised you're able to remember episodes from years ago like that. <laughs> well, I, I had to look it up, but I couldn't remember the title, but I remembered the episode because I, I think it's so important. You know, a lot of the work that we think we have to get from research, the initial work has been done. You know, I mean, ads have been tracked for over 100 years, and some of that information is available. So we might as well take advantage of it. All right. So here's when the magic happens. The magic happens when you blend the inner worlds of your client and your prospect with your hook and offer. Now, marketers, by that I mean business owners, but sometimes copywriters are more, and we talked about this before, they're more interested in process, how the product works than results. Customers are usually far more interested in results. 
And sometimes they're interested in process after that. You know, they say, okay, that is a result I'm looking for I haven't gotten before. But how do you do it? How do I know you can do it? And sometimes they're not even interested in the process at all. As a copywriter, if you get your client to accept this, things start to go a lot easier. Now, if you have a super stubborn client, you can suggest an A-B split test. Let's test their idea against your idea. Sometimes this will bring a stubborn client around to your way of thinking. Make sure you do the best job you can. I mean, don't try and like, you know, wire the test. Don't, don't, don't try and trick it. I mean, do the best job you can using their ideas. You might be wrong too. You need to accept that as a possibility. Nathan, you, you said something which we're going to talk about in a, in a minute about how this used to be a lot more of a problem for you all this stuff we've been talking about than it is now. But when you suggest an A-B split test, you had a really neat way of putting it. Do you want to share that? Yeah. So eight times out of 10, I'm spot on. I think this is going to be the hook that works. I think this is going to be the audience that works. And eight times out of 10, I'm, I'm right. Sometimes my client will be like, hey, I really think we should try it this way. I think the hook should be this instead of this. Or I think the headline should be should focus on this pain point rather than this one. And usually when that comes up, I'm like, okay, let's do a split test. Let's run your idea, your idea against my idea and let's see which one, one wins. And ultimately, I want to make the client money. So if their idea is better than mine, I'm happy about that. So that's kind of my approach to it is like, hey, we'll try both of them. If you've got, if you're really strong on your opinion that this, that your way is going to be better, let's try them both. And if your way wins, I'm happy. I helped you construct it in the way that made it even more powerful. But my ego's not on the line. I'm not about being right. I'm about making money. And sometimes the client understands or has an insight or has some past experience that maybe I don't have. And Two out of 10 times when it ends up being me having a different idea, occasionally the client's idea wins. And I'm always happy when that happens because if I'm right, I make them more money. And if I'm wrong, I make them more money. So either way, we both win. That, that sounds really good. Now, the last thing I want to say is sometimes it's better to get better at vetting your clients more thoroughly before agreeing to work with them and taking their money. And mm -hmm. the reality of freelancing is you can't always do that, but to the degree that you can, you should learn how to ask questions to determine how they think you should help them and what the working relationship is going to be like. But Nathan, you, you noticed an interesting phenomenon over time. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So we were talking about this before the show and you said that you had experienced the same thing at some point in your career, you just stop getting all of that pushback. You get a new client and immediately they're like, Hey, I trust you. I hired you because I want somebody who's going to tell me what to do. And I don't know specifically, I can't say like this year of my career was when it happened, but I did notice at one point in time, in my career, I stopped getting pushback. Clients said, hey, I'm just going to trust you. And I think that 
what it was for me specifically was at the point in my career where I stopped hunting for clients. When people started coming to me saying, hey, we heard about you from so-and-so's campaign or one of our friends owns a business and they said that they worked with you and they told us to hit you up. When they started coming to me and I started having the ability to pick and choose who I wanted to work with, they came pre-sold and it wasn't, hey, let me convince you, let me show you, let me persuade you into doing things my way. Once people started coming to me and I wasn't out going, doing cold emails on, on LinkedIn or whatever, that's when people started just saying, hey, we're trusting you. We hired you to make these decisions. And that's such a better place to operate from. Yeah, it is. And really, you have to earn your way there. I mean, you can... I, I I remember a long time ago, I was working uh, for a company that did marketing training for dentists. They would teach dentists all kinds of things to do to increase their practices. And they were using more of an attraction marketing model. And then we started doing some advertising and inbound phone sales. And man, the quality of the clients was so different. They be, they were so much more combative and skeptical when they came in from an ad. So when you're offering services like uh, that are as personal as this, as copywriting, and it really is in one way a personal service because you're helping a person sort of define their identity in, in words in the marketplace as well as you're going out to bring in new business. It's better if you can get them to come to you, no doubt about yeah. it. I think the rudder of the whole relationship, if it starts out with you convincing somebody to hire you, you're going to have to keep convincing them over and over and over again. But if they've already been convinced, hey, this is the guy or this is the girl that I need to write my sales copy, they're already convinced when they come to you and they're now trying to convince you to come on board, from that point forward, there's going to be a lot less arguing, a lot less combativeness because they were already convinced from step one. And that, that energy just keeps flowing through the relationship from that point forward. So if you're still in the, if you're still in the phase of your career where you're going and hitting people up in LinkedIn messages or Facebook messages, or you're still doing these outreach things to get people to come to you, You'll get past that stage, and when you do, a lot of the stuff that we talked about in this episode will no longer be the issue that it might be for you right now. Yeah, and yet you'll still want to do the same things. I mean, it's always good to develop some some harmony and respect in, in a relationship. And I think the bottom line is everyone's got to pay their dues. Everyone. Yeah, everyone. But, but it's not forever. It doesn't yeah, need absolutely. to be forever. All right. One last thing that I'm just going to add as a bonus tip for today's episode, it was when right. we were talking about people caring about results more than they care about processes. Yeah. One huge mistake, and I'm going to give this away, and maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to because it's just for the copywriters podcast listeners. A lot of copywriters think that the way to get new clients is to go on to Facebook and make long value bomb posts or go on to LinkedIn and make these giant value bomb posts about here's how this works. Here's how the psyche works. Here's how a call to action works. Let me show you the process. 
And you were mentioning that doesn't work when we do it for our clients. It also doesn't work as well when we're doing it to attract clients. I've noticed that posts like that, content like that, let me show you the long drawn out process that will fill your email list with people who want to compete with you, who also want to be copywriters, but it won't fill your list with people who want to pay you to do it for them. Results. If you can say, hey, check out these cool results I got. Look at this 15% conversion rate that I got. Results more than process. You show results and clients will come knocking down your doors. You're right. I have nothing to add to that except right on, brother. All right. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more value bombs like the ones we just dropped in this episode, this podcast is for copywriters. It's not specifically for us to go get clients. So uh, it's okay in this podcast and we chock full every episode with stuff like this. And if you want more, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network. 